What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical, and today, your source for heresy, particularly Mm. Christian heresy. Uh, I know that I hear the term heretic get thrown around a lot when I was coming out of Christianity. It wasn't something we talked about really in my church. Uh, We didn't really focus on heresy, so it was a little jarring for me when I started engaging with other Christians and they're like, yeah, so this person is a heretic. And I was like, we still do that? (laughs) Are are you going to burn them at the stake? What's happening here? (laughs) Right. But apparently heresy is not a thing for the past. It happens uh, today, too. Uh, So what is heresy? Heresy is a word that is derived from the Greek word for choice, and it's any belief that's contrary to the orthodox belief. Hmm. Well, what is the orthodox, Jordan? Good question. So that word (laughs) comes from the Greek for right opinion, and it is basically the correct beliefs. Whatever beliefs that adhere to the creeds or councils or whatever doctrines um, that are, you know, the ones that are right. Okay, so... But who gets to decide what's right, though? Oh, well, obviously, whoever's in power and can enforce their decision. Oh, okay. <laughs> you see, <laughs> right. heresy is something other people do, right? It's something that, that nobody thinks they're a heretic because everyone thinks they've got the right beliefs, right? Uh, but and, and the concept of heresy, even though we're going to focus on Christianity, it isn't exclusive to Christianity. But Christianity does emphasize adherence to doctrine a lot more than many other religions. So, yeah. It, yeah. It's funny too, because some of these examples that we'll give, it'll be like, you were not a heretic one day, then a decision was made, and now you're a heretic. <laughs> or like the group that you're a part of lost favor. But yeah, so despite the, uh, the view of heresy as being something in the past, uh, heretics lurk around every corner. They could be your friend. They could be your neighbor. They could even be you. Because contrary to popular imagination, what's considered normal Christian belief today took centuries to work out. Jesus and his disciples didn't have a New Testament in front of them, didn't exist yet. And even once the canon was established, doctrines evolved over the centuries. And uh, as we were prepping for this episode, we, we found there were a lot of things that were heresies or declared heresies centuries, even millennia ago, that I heard in church, like in in the 20th century, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to to point out too that Jordan and I recognize that there are a plethora of different ways to be a Christian. There are many different ways to have, there are many different doctrines and, and different sects, but we are approaching this from like, if this is something you might believe today, perhaps right. in the past, you would have been considered a heretic. Right. So we thought it might be fun to play you might be a heretic if and kind of go through some historical heresies and see if maybe when you were a christian or if you are a christian now maybe you might espouse some of these like jared said we're not saying that you're wrong hey you know what maybe the people who think they're orthodox they're the ones who are wrong as far as i'm concerned you're all wrong so it doesn't matter (laughs) all you need to do is get in power and then you're right exactly (laughs) too easy all right Uh, Uh, so let's jump in with our first uh heresy you might be a heretic if you've ever explained uh, the Trinity. Just if you've ever explained it, you're probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. But specifically, uh, if you've ever uh, explained it as a way of like God is one being with like different roles. So the Trinity is pretty confusing. It's famously 
confusing. If you think you understand it, you don't understand it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three gods. How do they? How do they? What was the creed they used where you went to seminary? Uh, so that would be the what was like the Apostles' Creed, um, uh, which is based off the Nicene Creed, which comes from the Council of Nicaea. Um, that's where they that's actually where they decided what was in the Bible, right? And made Jesus God. Yeah, all the books of the Bible, uh, they decided that Jesus, uh, his wife, uh, we were going to hide right. her and, and all yeah. that stuff. Now, but actually, uh, most fundamentalists don't actually espouse a creed. Um, it's funny enough. So, so I know when I was growing up, I struggled with the uh, with the Trinity, and one of the ways it was explained to me was sort of like, well you are also different people. You are a father to your children. You're a son to your mother. You're a husband to your wife. There you go. Three, three people, but there's only one of you. Boom. Boom. That, that's it. That's, that's so easy to understand. And yeah, it makes sense. It works. It's great. Wrong. Heretic. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you believe this, you've committed the heresy of Sabellianism also known as... Wow, great pronunciation. Yeah, I looked it up and wrote phonetic spelling in the script so that I wouldn't <laughs> mess it up. <laughs> and, and even so, as I was reading the script and got to the name, I had a moment of panic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> anyway, uh, Sibelianism, a.k.a. the modal view of Trinity. Mm. Yeah, so this is actually based on the teachings of Sibelius. You know, he lived in the third century, so that would have been the 200s for you uh, folks. That century, and, uh, one more than you'd think it would be. Yes, that's how that works. Um, so, but when was this condemned as a heresy? You might ask. So, the, this was condemned in the in the third century. Um, it was condemned specifically because it denied the distinct personhood of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit within the Trinity. So, uh, part of this is is that within the Trinity, the way that it's taught is that there's different beings, and I'm going to get confused on this, but like there's different Godheads of the Trinity. Each one is distinct and has their own role and are separate from the others, but they're all the same. And there's one God. And there's one, one God. Plus so it's clear. One plus one equals one. Yeah. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Though. But um, so, yeah. So, so naturally, anybody who tries to take that confusing mess and make it make it make sense is a heretic. And Sibelius was one of many who did that. So uh, if you, like many other Christians, think that uh, have used this modal view to explain uh, the Trinity to somebody, that's heresy, just so you know. Yeah, so, so, so Sibelianism, just to make it clear, what he was saying was that God can only exist at at one time. Like, so he can have these different modes, right? Yeah, so I switch between them. He's got, all right, now I got to put my Jesus hat on. Now I'm going to put my spirit hat on. But he, so he's like, not the, the same time. When Jesus was incarnate on earth, like God the Father and the Spirit were just like gone, like not around. Well, yeah. So, but but this is why uh, it was eventually condemned to heresy because what it did was um, it contradicted some of the teachings of, of previously held Trinity doctrine. And some of that's were based off of teachings like that. So when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane praying to God, the father, how could he be praying to himself? If he is God right there, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't make much more sense. No, I mean, like, we're, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. okay. So that's Sibelianism, which is definitely one that I was taught as a Christian. Uh, yes. 
So let's move on to the next one. These names are great, by the way. I love these names. So we, we definitely should go back to our naming conventions. Actually, my son's middle name is Octavius, just because I think it's cool. Uh, That's a great name. It is. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, if you think that babies are born without sin. Babies are innocent and kind and, you know, represent everything that's good with humanity. You, you might be a heretic. <laughs> yeah. I like that picture of uh, saying this, like in our best Jeff Foxworthy voice. If you believe the babies are born without sin, you <laughs> be might a be a heretic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this one is, I'm going to mess this one. Uh, this one's not as easy. Uh, Pelagianism. Pelagianism. Uh, yeah. So basically, in a nutshell, no original sin. Baptism isn't necessary. People can be saved through their own efforts. Hmm. So uh, this is kind of like by works, not by faith, right? Right. And so uh, this one sort sort of seems if you think that original sin is an outdated idea, right? Adam and Eve probably didn't even exist. Uh, so how could we have original sin from fictitious people? Right. Uh, babies aren't evil. Uh, if you don't think you need baptism, like if baptism isn't necessary, all of these are features of this kind of heresy. Uh, the one that that I heard expressed, or, or one that that would cause me to wrestle as a Christian, was a person's a terrible murderer, but they repent at the last minute, they go to heaven. But what if somebody who doesn't repent, but like tries really hard to be a good person, loves their neighbors? They don't get to go to heaven. They can't be saved. Like all that's worth nothing. Yeah. You know, if that sounds like you, you're a heretic. Yeah. So if you, if you support people doing good stuff. And <laughs> well, they should do good stuff, but that the, the, it doesn't count. Like, like it's like, ex, it's like extracurricular, you know? <laughs> yeah. So where, where's this heresy so, come from? So this comes from the teachings of Pelagius or Pelagius, one of the two, but, um, We'll go with Pelagius. So that, that looks better. He was actually a British monk. Uh, so and this is around the 4th and 5th century. So he lived somewhere between 350 to 418. And he basically rejected the doctrine of original sin. So he had a problem with that. Uh, he also rejected the need for grace, which is super important if you've uh, ever done any sort of thing with um, the atonement theories. And if you check out one of our previous episodes, I had a conversation with Nick about that. But um so this minimized the idea of like human depravity. Like under most Christian teachings, you get this idea that humans are just naturally de- depraved of everything. They're just horrible people, and we need God to save us. In it's fact, the, if you ever gone the first point of the tulip model, T total depravity. Exactly, total depravity. Yep. So, um, so he was teaching that humans are actually born morally neutral. So this was a new concept, uh, not for. Uh, philosophy or other religions, but within Christianity, uh, it definitely was a new concept. And therefore, you could potentially have someone live a sinless life. So, yeah. so pra- but, Practically speaking, you probably couldn't, wouldn't, but, but, but hypothetically, yes. <laughs> it'd be possible. Potentially, yeah. And, and this, is, this is, if you know anything about Christ, uh, most Christians, they think there's only one sinless being, and that was Jesus. Um, so, Well, uh, so I actually pulled up some uh, some surveys regarding this. I found a really cool survey uh, that was published by, you know, Lifeway, the book people. Mm, yeah. Uh, they teamed up with uh, an organization that had put together a, uh, they call it the State of Theology. And it's a list of questions or a list of statements that they put out to people and ask them to agree or not agree on a scale. Um, and they've done this for years now, since I think 2016. And uh, it's actually, despite the, um, you know, I don't want to say bias because like they're people studying their religion, but like 
you know, they're, they're not a disinterested source, but their methodology seems pretty good. Uh, they surveyed over 3,000 people. They say they got a representative sample and they weighted it by socioeconomic factors and like stuff. I haven't seen like the nuts and bolts of their survey, so I can't say how well they did any of that, but at least they, you know, acknowledge that's a thing you have to do, which is good. Um, <laughs> and so if you just Google, or we'll put the, the link in the description below, it's actually really slick. They got really good data visualization. As a data guy, they, they did a really good job with this thing. Very easy to navigate. Uh, but anyway, so we'll be referencing that throughout the rest of the episode. But one thing uh, that re- relevant to this is that uh, they the statement was, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature, which is a, exactly what Pelagius said, but kind of similar, right? Very similar, right? yeah. 69, nice, percent of people agreed with that. <laughs> and by, sorry, not just people, Christians, so, yes, because these are Christians because they're trying well, to get a state of what people believe, they, right? The, the survey population included Christians and non-Christians, but they have okay. – um, I've filtered it down. Uh, the image you can see on the screen, the filtered population for this and every other image will show, that is all of the Christian denominations. So whether it's Protestant, Evangelical, Catholic, whatever, all Christians fall under there. Um, okay. Yeah. So I thought that was – I think over two-thirds of people that's go with that. That's pretty, pretty high, actually. It's even worse – if you go to another statement, everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Look at that one. 79%. Dang. Now that's straight out wow. of Pelagius right there. Which well, this is crazy because most Christian doctrines actually teach that original sin is inherited from Adam and Eve. So like this is the idea that there was an actual historical person, Adam and Eve, and that sin is based on this, like it's actually passed down through the blood generation to generation. So like you are tainted at birth. Which is why uh, the whole immaculate conception, which was not actually Jesus, it was Mary. Yeah, we had to get Mary to be pure so that way she couldn't pass that sin on to right. Jesus. Right. Uh, it's like it's like a money laundering thing. You had to like you know have the layering with Mary and like yeah. Uh, so most <laughs> most Christians uh, in answering this are actually heretics. Right. Uh, for this now, <laughs> to be fair, uh, there's another one, another question here. You can see God counts as a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, that one is a little bit more hopeful for the orthodoxy. Only 22% disagreed with it, but still that's like almost a quarter of Christians. Like, and, and I think this is even more key than the other two because Pelagius thought you were morally neutral and everything, but this, like he thought you could get to heaven through good works. And this is a quarter of Christians are like, yep, a hundred percent on board. So a quarter of Christians are heretics. Which is interesting. So like you have this idea that, so it's almost like a flip-flop, right? So you have like 69 to 70 some percent of people think that you're born like pure, but you can't get there through works. It's only 22%, right? So like, at what point did you become bad? Right. Like, when does that happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> if, if you like go, go flip through these statements, so these, these results are not internally consistent, which is not unusual, be, probably yeah. because most people just don't think about this stuff very much. Right. And so they're just kind of like answering like from reflex, kind of like what they vaguely recall hearing at church, you know? Uh, you mean internal coherent worldviews are not a thing? Like, uh, No, and that's not a Christian problem. That's an everyone problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, so when was this uh, condemned as a heresy? How long have these people so been I, heretics? Yeah, so they've been heretics all the way since uh, 418, and this was actually formally condemned at the Council of Carthage. Um, and then again, because people were still talking about it at the Council of Ephesus in 431. No, so, like for real, you time. guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, because like. Yeah. Okay, so 
let's say that you made it through this. You are not an adherent of Pelagianism. You know you're sinful, so you're in the clear because you freely chose to be saved. So you're good, right? Not so fast. No, no, sir. That's heresy too. What was that about choosing to be saved? You dirty heretic. (laughs) You are now guilty of (laughs) semi-Plagianism. Kind of halfway Plagianism. It's like, it's like, it's like the diet alternative to Pelagius. (laughs) Right. So this version actually acknowledges the idea of original sin. However, it emphasizes the role that free will plays in the process of salvation. Right. So it's like, all right, so we, there's original sin that gets passed down, except for it's still about the works and it's about our decision to choose to act morally or not. Right. right. You can choose as a person of your own power and volition to become a Christian. And then, you know, the, the Holy Spirit can work through you or whatever. But like that choice is freely yours, which this is a message I have pitched to me constantly. Like, <laughs> like Christians all the time tell me the free will defense to the problem of evil. Like you can yeah. freely choose to be, um, to, to, to be saved. But that's a heresy, at least it used to be, uh, <laughs> yeah. because the the orthodox view was that uh, the Holy Spirit has to work in you, which I also hear sometimes from the same people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important to like it, the the reason that this this doctrine was created was because it it de-emphasized God's grace. So in Christian doctrine, like if God's grace wasn't the end all be all, and you could do it on your own, you didn't need God. Like you you had to be relying on him for something. So, but speaking of will, we should get to our next heresy. So you might be a heretic if you think that Jesus only had one will. What do you mean will? That's weird. Like, so you know how Jesus is like a man and also God? Well, it kind of stands to reason that like, he's got these like two natures, right? These, these two opposing natures, divine and uh, material, but they're like combined into like one will together. So like they're, they're like, that's, you've got these two conflicting halves, but one will directing them. It's so, all right, first of all, when, when I was doing my undergrad and I was learning about all like this stuff, like the homoestasis and like all of these things, it, it literally fried my mind for like a month. I was like, wait, how am I supposed to like, um, it's super confusing. Probably this stuff we're talking about design. here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this heresy is actually called uh, monothelitism. And um, it, it means mono, so meaning one, and thelesis, which means uh, will, basically. So of one will. Uh, then the emphasis was that it Jesus, while he did have two natures, he did have this human bodily nature and this divine nature, they shared the same will. So uh, some Christian doctrines were teaching the opposite, that there was a, a completely separate divine will and also a human nature will, and they were competing within like the body of Jesus, but he was also sharing a divine body. Anyways, uh, super, super easy to explain, but this became popular in the 7th century. So this, this um, monothelitism became popular in the 7th century, and it was a response to that idea about Jesus having a, a nature, right? So. Uh, and so it was condemned when, uh, in the seventh century as well. Um, actually, this one was actually originally condemned uh, at the Council of Chalcedon um, in 451. Um, 
sorry, no. In 451, the Council of Chalcedon taught the two distinct natures. So this goes all the way back there. And so in the 7th century, when this became, became popular, they had to have a new council in the Council of Constantinople. And this council was like really long. It lasted like over a year from then 680 to 681. And they talked about a bunch of stuff. So, so um, the Orthodox view is that Jesus is fully divine and fully human, 100% both, which is 200% for those keeping track at home. Uh which I, I got to right. be honest, I don't see the difference between that and this. It has to do with the the idea of um, Jesus's will being like, if Jesus was fully God and fully human, but his will was human alone, like that doesn't, it's not enough. He can't be like the, the idea is like the mind, like where does he get in his powers from? Where is he, what does knowledge does he have? So if he's fully God, then he's just walking around superhuman, right? right? But he's also fully human. So like they share this one will. Um, but isn't that the heresy view that, you, that we just. Yeah, that's the idea. So like, that's what the heresy okay. is trying to, they were trying to make sense of this, right? So, so, but if that's the heresy, then what's the orthodox? The Orthodox view is that the, Jesus has a two two distinct natures, human and divine. Okay, but it's one and person. Both, but it's one person. So one will. Right. So, so now we're back we got to the Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> so we got yeah we got the Trinity. Okay. And then we have God, Jesus, and then Holy Spirit. But within God, within Jesus, we have another little triangle that love going on over here. So. <laughs> I, I think you're doomed. I don't think that there's a way out of this without being a heretic somehow. <laughs> well, that so. But honestly, that's why they had these councils, uh, because you literally had entire sects of like the church. Because I mean, the church was huge at this point in the seventh century. You're talking about the entire yeah. Roman Empire, basically. Uh, and there were swaths of like areas that just had certain views because they were following certain teachers. And so it would threaten um, the church to like split and fracture. And so they had to have councils to come together and they would basically like argue and agree on which view they would hold. Um, it's really confusing. And, and it's probably so confusing that we're messing up explaining it because... I, I still don't understand, but whatever. <laughs> and, and so there's a good chance that if you're a Christian sitting here listening to this, you're probably a heretic in some way. If you, you have any thoughts about Jesus at all, you're a heretic. That's, that's not to think about it. That's that's the key here. Just don't, don't have an opinion, then you can't be a heretic. <laughs> Speaking of opinions, uh, if you've ever said, once saved, always saved, you might be a heretic. Hmm. Yeah, I know I've said that. Um, and I know I was told that, especially after I uh, deconverted. And they're like, well, you're good. Once saved, always saved, Jared. Yeah. I'm like, Oops, so I got a free pass now. I got a hall pass. <laughs> uh, so this heresy is antinomianism. And that's the belief that Christians are freed uh, by grace from obligations of moral law. So... Yeah. I think most people who told me like once saved, always saved would not have gone so far as to say, so therefore you can sit all you want. It's fine. Like that's not what they meant, you know, because uh, you'd know a fruit by its uh, tree, by its fruits and that sort of thing. Um, but I definitely like, there's the idea that it doesn't matter how much you sin. If you were ever saved, you're good. Yeah. You've, you've this, the slate's been wiped clean. You have eternal salvation. Your, your, your punch card is punched, right? So this was a heresy because 
this seems like we have a running theme. Uh, the concept of grace is getting distorted in the view of the Orthodox because that has to be central. Um, and so this heresy suggested that people could live how they want without moral accountability. And if people can live how they want, then they won't have to feel guilty. And if they don't feel guilty, then they won't need to go to the priest. And then, you know, then what will happen? Chaos, right? Then then nobody's going to pay tithe. And next thing you know, we're not eating. So. Exactly. Uh, so they can. there's obviously scriptural backing for the Orthodox view, uh, pointing to Jesus saying he wouldn't abolish the law. He came to fulfill it, Matthew 5. Uh, right. And if you aren't bound by moral law, even if you would want to act morally, if you're not bound by it, then you could, in principle at least, ignore God's laws, ignore his commands, and do whatever you want because you're saved. So even though, so even though like you're written in the book of life, this doesn't, this kind of viewpoint doesn't fit with the being a follower of Christ and taking up his cross and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. The whole idea of like discipleship and all that stuff. So, so I don't think you'd find many Christians who would like, if you spelled it out, would believe this. However, there are a lot of Christians who kind of downplay the importance of moral laws and kind of importantly downplay Old Testament law and Old Testament commandments, unless they have to do with like two boys having sex and then all of a sudden it's super important. Uh, right. Well, I mean, so I think too, like in common culture though, there is, yeah, I just thought about two boys, but uh, so but the, <laughs> uh, uh, the common gutter. culture. Yeah. What am I talking about? <laughs> um, uh, the idea of like hip- hypocrisy within Christianity, right? So like many people have the view of Christians that they live this way. Like they profess a faith in Jesus, and then they live a life as if they don't have any moral obligations, but they go to church on Sunday morning and then they, you know, they wipe the slate clean again and then they go out the week. So like, it is a common trope. Um, and I mean, that the kind of formalized view of this is the meager moral fruits argument. Um, and it, kind, it basically goes like, if this claim were true, then you would see a significant difference in the moral behavior of those who have this divine grace. You don't. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to be any more moral than anybody else. So therefore, therefore right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You fill in. Yep. So speaking of the old Testament, uh, who needs it anyway? Right. Like it was, it was so long ago. Like, That's just the old Testament. Right, I mean, yeah, come Jesus on, like, fulfilled it. So we're not, we don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. Right. Heretic. Yep. Yes, sir. <laughs> Uh, so kind of, uh, so this is Marcionism and Marcion, I actually like Marcionism. I think it's resolves a lot of conflict and, and it like really makes sense to me. Marcion, uh, viewed the old Testament God as a different God than Jesus. Jesus saved us from the old Testament God. Now there is a bit of, uh, anti Judaism thinking going on there because the old Testament God is the God of Judaism. And so if like this was this mean, evil, cruel God that we had to sort of like be saved from, that's got some not great overtones, you know, but that mm-hmm. is definitely how Christians sometimes view the Old Testament because the Old Testament is view is full of like slavery and like murdering babies and eh, yeah, it's kind of gross and we don't <laughs> want to talk about it, you know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So what's the lowdown uh, so Mars- on this one? Yeah, so Marcion, uh, as Jordan's already mentioned, theologian, second century. So oh, this early. is pretty this one's early. So yeah, this was one of the very first like rifts in Christianity. Um, not the first, but one of the first ones. Uh, and he rejected the validity and the authority of the Old Testament, as you as you alluded to. 
Um, so he still believed there was a God in the Old Testament, but this God was actually a lesser God uh, than than Jesus. And Jesus actually what came to like kind of like set things right, so to speak. By calling in a manager. Uh, in old, yeah, exactly. Uh, can I speak to your manager? So yeah. Uh, in the Old Testament, and the way he viewed this is like, if you look at the God of the Old Testament and he just wrote out all the stuff he did, say, look at this God. This God is harsh. He's legalistic. He's wrathful, vengeful. You look at the New Testament God, this God is preaching love, grace, mercy. He's hanging with prostitutes and, you know, tax collectors. Like, he's a good guy. So, like, how could they be the same God? And he determined, well, they're not. They're not the same God. Um, and so that God, you know, obviously revealed in Jesus. So Marcion actually denied Jesus's full humanity. So this is the other part of that that a lot of people don't talk about. Marcion believed in what's called docetism. Oh, so Marcionism is kind of like a subset of docetism? Yes, exactly. So Jesus, and this is really weird. This is cool. I like this one. So like this gets, this gets, it solves that uh, nature problem we had earlier right. too, right? Because in docetism or docetism, uh, Jesus only had an appearance of a body. He only seemed. So he only seemed to have had a body. He, the, because the physical world was inherently evil. So like, there's no way, like, even if Mary was pure, like the physical world is just evil. There's no way a good God could be part, have anything to do with the physical world whatsoever. Which this is a very like Greek view at the time, because the, the kind of Greek ph- philosophical view was that the material world is terrible and bad, right? Yes. And so like the, the mind, the spirit, that's what's good. And so this is, you can definitely see some Hellenistic influences with this view. Oh, there's a lot of Hellenism going on here. Yeah, like you said, the spiritual world is a good place. So, like there's this dichotomy, this do, I mean two, like there's two things going on here, right? Um, guess what? It's a heresy. It, you know what? Every <laughs> time they say something that makes sense and it resolves all these problems, it's a heresy. Just pick the simple one, my guy. What? What is going on? Yeah, ever heard of Occam's razor? Let's go. Like, <laughs> well, so there are a few um there are a few issues with with Marcionism. So obviously, it rejected the Old Testament. Uh, it denied Jesus' humanity. So, uh, which has a problem for atonement because if Jesus wasn't human, then he didn't suffer and he didn't die. Like the whole, True. you can't resurrect somebody who's not dead. Um, and then uh, it also introduced this idea of the separation between the Old Testament and New Testament. Like this is really early happening on which we just talked about, right? Um, so that happens there. Though we, we should say that at this point, it's not like there was a, a New Testament, like a cohesive. No, thing. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not like Old Testament, not Old Testament as in new, as like, as in the books, you know, <laughs> as in the books right. in your Bible, you know, but old, like yeah. the, the pre prior to Jesus covenant and then New Testament right. being post Jesus. And the reason that this has an issue though, is because if we go back to the fall of man, by separating that distinction there, it downplays the need for God's redemptive plan in, in history. And like that was the reason Jesus came was to redeem everybody from all this sin. So like if you're just like, boom. So that's one of the main reasons why it eventually fell yeah. out of favor. So we should also point out that the view that the Old Testament God is purely this evil God of wrath and whatever is not an accurate reflection of what Jewish people believe about and and when you're talking about the Old no, Testament God, <laughs> that's the yeah. Jewish God, right? So we should probably see what they have to say about him. Yeah. And uh, so 
<laughs> Jewish people then and now don't view their God as this like this horrible like scribe that's like, you know, <laughs> I worship the worst God ever. Yeah, like, <laughs> so, so this is not a accurate view of that religious. We should, we should just point that out yeah. there. Uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> the rest of it, though, the whole like God, Jesus only seeming to be a human. So he has that fully divine being resonates with me. Uh, I will. I don't think that many Christians would accept this part. No. Uh, I think if you just laid it out there. Um, I will say, though, interestingly, that kind of undergirding this is the idea that God can't change. Like, God is perfect, so he, he is unchanging, right? He's immutable. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, according to that survey from earlier, we have another statement here. God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Um, 56% of Christians agree with this. Over half. Well, that's, I mean, that's surprising, um, but there is scriptural There's certainly stuff to hold that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because there are def- definitely scriptures where like God appears to regret things. Uh, God appears to change his mind. Now, uh, the counter argument you hear is like, that's poetical language. Part of his, yeah. yeah. That, that's not meant. Or he was pretending to change right, his mind. Yeah. Or- <laughs> but I mean, it's, <laughs> but, but see, that's the thing. If let's suppose that uh, the Marcion view had, or or another heretical view had become orthodox, like like they had one, and so we'd be talking about them as the orthodoxy, and some other view as the heresy. They'd be pointing to these things and saying, "Look, it's right there in the Bible." You know? Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. Wow, fifty six percent. That that's, that surprised me actually, because um, you would think that most people would just think that God is all knowing and like just has this super plan laid out from the start. So, Well, you're in for some more surprises because we've got our biggest heresy yet. This one is probably my favorite heresy. Uh, If you have ever emphasized the manhood of Jesus over his godliness, you might be a heretic. So uh, more importantly, if you believe or have ever thought that Jesus was not co-eternal, existent forever, that God created Jesus, at some point in history, that's heresy. Specifically, it is the heresy of Arianism. And the reason this is my favorite heresy is because it's actually the thing that they talked about at the Council of Nicaea. I mean, they talked about a lot of stuff. But like, this is one of the main reasons they called the council, right? This is why they why had a party in the first place. Right. This, this, yeah, <laughs> this is why they came together. The Council of Nicaea was called. The Council of Nicaea is probably the only ecumenical council that like non- religion history nerds know about probably thanks dan thanks brown Brown, right (laughs) and thanks to dan brown everyone thinks that freaking every single thing that ever happened happened at the council of nicaea uh all the books like we alluded to before the canon was decided there no it wasn't jesus was turned into a god there no he wasn't you know anyway uh i mean you can understand so we'll get into specifics but you could understand why someone might think that though based on right what so yeah uh, Arianism, what it is because of the teaching of a guy named Arius, who was a uh, priest in the fourth century. This is uh, Council of Nicaea in the early fourth century, called by the Emperor Const- Constantine, who did not make Christianity the religion of Rome, contrary to popular belief. That happened later. But anyway, so Arius taught that Jesus was truly the Son of God. And so, being the Son of God, he was created by God. He was created in eternity past, but it's not like eternity, eternity. He was created like in the past, but at some point 
there was only God the Father, and he made his son, Jesus. Uh, so he he created Jesus, so they're not the same es- essence. So st- God, Jesus, still a God, right? Still, still divine, right? Everyone at the Council of Nicaea agreed that Jesus was divine. It was just, in what manner should we think of him as being divine? Super important, but not not equal importance with God the Father. He is subordinate. Now, what really struck me, take a guess, how many Christians agree with this now today? So That Jesus was created by God. All right. I'm going to say 80%. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. That that okay, you're you overshot a little bit. But it's not okay. not by a lot though. So the question, the statement was Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And two-thirds, 66% of Christians agreed with this statement. Wow, okay. That's still a lot. It's okay. Still a lot. And I actually dug into this one a little bit more because it was very surprising to me. And I was like, okay, well, maybe these are like casual Christians who like don't go to church very much, you know? So I filtered it down to just Christians who said that they attended church several times a week. 70% agreed with it. Crazy, right? Okay. Now, okay. at the same time, uh, another statement, there is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That one, almost all Christians agreed with. So it's hard to say how those two are being held at the same time. So maybe they have some kind of adoptionist view, like Arius. Uh, so you, you could you could have an Arian view and still, I think, accept both statements. Um, right. Or most likely they probably just haven't thought about it much. And they're like, yeah, Trinity, I've heard that, definitely. And yeah, Jesus is pretty good. And he was probably, God, the Father, right? Father, Son, yeah, great. Yeah, that's probably, that was probably as far as it went for most people. <laughs> yeah, it just goes to show you like how complex it is to even talk about or think about the relationship of Jesus and God and like how much, I'm just going to say this, how much nonsense it is, right? Like, Well, it's like it, the most convoluted fan fiction ever like like it really is like these are the original fanfic writers like they've got this this intense fan if you view all of theology as like like a fandom a geekdom about this like person that this this property they're very passionate about it all makes sense because like you know if you see arguments in like about star trek or star wars canon they can get bitter <laughs> Yeah. Yes, they can. Yeah. And then when you reset canon, <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, no, we're gonna have a council. This has gone far enough. <laughs> All right. So this one actually had two councils. So the Council of Nicaea we talked about in 325, but then again at the Council of Constantinople in 381. So like they were like, "All right, we really got to reaffirm this because um, Arius didn't go away. Well, he did kind of. He literally went away. He was exiled by Const- yeah. He was exiled by Constantine. Yeah. yeah. So this is actually pretty interesting. Uh, I find this this period of, of like the rise of Christianity in Rome pretty interesting. So Constantine, first Christian emperor, did not make the Christianity the religion of Rome. He dies. He had succeeded by Constantius, uh, his uh, the second. He does some stuff. More importantly, past him, the next emperor is Julian, known as the apostate, because he was the last pagan emperor of Rome, and it's. Cr- the stuff he did, he was like, 
he he decided I'm pagan, and the fact that he thought himself of himself as pagan shows how far things had gone. Because prior to like Constantine, pagan was just it there was, was no pagan. It was just that's how everyone is. You don't need a yeah. name for it, right? So he did enacted a lot of policies. Like for instance, the uh, the classics that the the Greek classics that people would teach that have like pagan overtones. He was like, oh well, you can't teach those if you're Christian. Because you shouldn't be teaching things you don't believe. And that subtle policy is like, well, that's how you teach kids. So anyone who's tutoring kids is going to be pagan. Like, and so he was like really working to turn back the clock and, you know, restore. Make, yeah, he wanted to make Rome great yeah, again. Make so. Rome pagan again. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, unfortunately for his goals, uh, he didn't reign very long. Uh, he, he, only, he was only Augustus. He was only the ruler for uh, two years, or even less than two years, actually. So, who can say what would have happened had he? Um, yeah, I mean, if you do that little thought experiment, the like if his policies would have stayed in place and he would have lived and, and reigned for a while, like definitely could have rolled back and like made Christianity like a very difficult religion to be a part of. Um, yeah, because I imagine. Uh, so I know Christians have a persecution complex, but that definitely would have bred a lot more persecution. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think probably Christianity still would have won, but it would have been a much harder fight because, you know, you would have had somebody at the top pushing actively, but um, yeah. his reign was cut short and every Christ, every emperor from there on out was Christian. Uh, most notably Theodosius was the one who actually made Christianity the official, um, religion of the empire. Uh, and he ruled. So this, all of the, had a bunch of emperors in the fourth century. But anyway, there's your history lesson of Rome. No, oh, thanks, yeah. Jordan. Appreciate that. Uh, so I find this, uh, yeah, I find Arianism interesting because, it, it, like that polls that you just showed, they have conflicting, like they're they're conflicting, because on one hand they're saying that God created Jesus, or you know Jesus was the first created being, but on the other hand they're affirming the the Trinity, which is. It just shows you like how complex the ideas and doctrines of Christianity are, right? And like what is orthodox can changes to pay, based on popularity, who is in voting, like what's going on yeah. here, and like heresies come and go throughout history, right? And, I mean, and this doesn't. This is only scratching the surface of all the heresies that have happened. I mean, essentially, if you're Protestant. You're a heretic. Yeah. Like they don't, the Catholic Church doesn't actually think that, or doesn't officially call Protestants heresies. But if you look at pro, uh, heresies like the Loggers or the Waldensians and stuff, like if you dig in, or like the Brethren of the Free Spirit, if you dig into like what they believe, they're just Protestants. Like that's basically yeah. the Protestants before it was cool. Uh, and so, yeah, it there's a lot of heresy over time. And so the things that that are like takeaways for me is you're probably closer to heresy than you might think. You, if you, you being a Christian, um, there's a lot of different ways to be a heretic and the difference between Orthodox and heresy is very subtle and hard to understand sometimes. Extremely. Right. As we've like, demonstrated like these are very, in this very like, episode. <laughs> noodly in the weeds things sometimes. Um, and like you said, what is Orthodox is effectively determined by popular vote. Like whatever faction wins becomes Orthodox, you know, it's, it's whoever yeah. is the most powerful popular faction. Which is interesting. So you talked about the creed earlier. Um, this is why councils came up with creeds. So in, in 325, they came up with the Nicene Creed. Uh, and then later on, uh, they they 
elaborated on the Nicene Creed in, in Constantinople in 381, and then they came up with the Apostles' Creed. It's because creeds were easy way to have people recite information that they could. They didn't have to remember. They didn't have to go through the weeks and months of deliberation to get down to that. All they needed to know is, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You know, born right. of a virgin, like they could just repeat it. Yeah. Like that's it. And so. another thing to keep in mind here from from all of this is that there is no monolithic Christianity. Like you could probably winnow down to a couple statements that all Christians would believe in, something about Jesus being in some sense divine, some stuff about sin, you know. But like the label Christianity covers a huge, just a bewildering. <laughs> variety of beliefs. Um, and so we should be hesitant to say this is the Christian view, because as we've seen in this survey, even things that seem bog standard and light, like straight middle of the road are rejected by a lot of people. And that's why we always say like, ask the person you're talking to, you're having a yeah. conversation with, what do you believe? Like that's super simple. So that's the heresy part of the show. Uh, don't know. Let us know in the comments if you are or ever were a heretic. Uh, that might be interesting to get our own little. I know I'm a heretic. Yeah. Well, I am a heretic <laughs> now for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, some other takeaways, though, since we've covered the heresy thing, just because I'm a data guy, the uh, some of the survey results are pretty interesting. Um, probably the most interesting to me of the ones we haven't covered is this one here. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Forty eight percent of Christians agree. Now, this is directly contradicting the one we showed earlier about the Trinity. Almost everybody wow. holds the Trinity view. And then, if, but if you ask them, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God, half of them agree with it. Well, I mean, when you look at the Trinity, it clearly states God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. So he's, he can't be God, right? Right. So <laughs> it's fascinating, that result here. Uh, That's insane. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Half of Christians that did this survey. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. And even uh, even if you've like filtered down the ones you think would be more like hard line, even strong percentages of like the evangelicals still accepted it. Here's another one. Uh, the Holy Spirit can tell me to do something which is forbidden by the Bible. Now, whoa, most people said they couldn't, but 20%, which is not an insignificant amount, 20% of Christians said, yes, the Holy Spirit can tell you to do something that is forbidden. That is scary. That's super scary. <laughs> so here's one. Well, well, here, here's one I, that's not great. The Bible's condemnation condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. Only 35% agreed with that. So that's a third. That's, you know, not a little bit, but that's, you know, way less than I would like. But let's end on a positive note. Gender identity is a matter of choice. 57% agree. So, hey. Oh, we're going in the right direction. Yeah, so over half. Yeah. Good job. So that that's nice. We'd want that to be yeah, you know, a little bit better, but <laughs> let's get the uh, other 43% on board. <laughs> uh yeah. So again, we'll leave a link in the description for that survey. I encourage you to go check it out. It's a really good example of data done well. I, I again can't attest for like how well they normalize for things like socioeconomic factors and stuff, but just the presentation, mm -hmm. very good. 
Um, anyway, that's our show. Thanks for sticking with us all the way to the end. Let us know in the comments what you think. Do give us, if you thought it was good, like, comment, all the sort of YouTube stuff, feed the algorithm. It really helps. Uh, and let us know what you'd like us to cover in the future. I know coming up shortly, we've got some more mythicism content. We're also going to be on with Hugh Ferry of Shroud of Turin fame. We're going to be kind of scraping some comments that we've had on our various Shroud of Turin videos, looking at like little things that have come up that we maybe didn't cover. Um, and we'll talk about some of them with you as well as his own story. Before we go, Jordan, we forgot to do this a previous episode. We did. Thanks for catching me. We, we need to hit somebody with a fallacy of the day, but today we're not doing fallacies. We're doing biases. Biases. So. You're right. Man, almost almost forgot again. Okay. The bias of the day. We even had it in the script and I rolled right past it and didn't okay. <laughs> <laughs> there are graphs. You got excited got, about your charts and graphs. You're like, oh, data. I, I did. I got excited <laughs> by the charts. That's exactly what happened. So, <laughs> okay. So the bias of the day is the anchoring bias. Uh, this is the tendency of humans to lean heavily or anchor on the first piece of information they get. So um, it doesn't matter if that information is correct or anything like that. Uh, this is a very well-known effect salesmen are extremely well versed in this particular bias and use it to great oh, effect. Yeah. <clears throat> um, or if you're like presenting something to a boss, you need to be aware if you show somebody the first thing. So for example, if you like show them the price of a thing, right. And you say the price of this thing is $5. They'll anchor on that. as like, okay, that's the price of how the thing should cost. And so if the next thing yeah. you show them is $10 and we're like, wow, that's super expensive, you know? But if you show them the $20 thing first, then the $10 thing, then the five dollar thing. They're like, man, the five dollar thing's so cheap. I'm getting a great deal. Exactly right. Yeah. If, you, if you show them five, yeah. then ten, then twenty, they'll think twenty is expensive. If you show them twenty, ten, then five, they'll think five is cheap. Yeah. So, so kids, uh, if you're that, in that's school, that's what they'll focus on. Gotta, yeah. yeah. If you got to show your report card to your parents, start with the F. Yeah. Anchor okay. them to the F. Anchor them to the F, <laughs> because by the time you get to the C or D or A, anyway, if you get an A, good job. But like, right, right. Anchor to the low yeah. and then exceed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this this bias is very pernicious. The um, the way to uh, kind of look out for it for yourself is to consciously be aware that of basically know that this bias exists and to kind of force yourself to hold judgment until you've got the whole picture. Um, when you've got a single result, no matter what the result that is, that's very rarely enough to make any kind of informed decision off of. Yeah. Whether it's one survey result, one peer-reviewed paper, one whatever. Um, you should wait until you can put that number in its context. Yeah. And the, this this is actually even more tricky because this information can be held for a long period of time, right? So this bias can has long-term effects. Like if you get a piece of information today, but two months from now, you encounter something, you're still going to anchor you can, yeah. to that original piece. Yeah. It's a very pernicious. Okay. Huh. So we did a bias. We've already done the YouTube things. Like, comment, subscribe, <laughs> do all that stuff. And remember, till next time, you've always got reason to doubt. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs>